In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm not saying that it happened, but imagine if someone were come up to me and and greet me and wish me well and and tell me that they hope my mom gets better sometime soon. You might have some idea of the absolute incongruity of whatever it is that St. Peter said to our Lord. We know from the other Gospels that he said, certainly, Lord, nothing like that will happen to you, right? Because we're, we're special. Bad things don't happen to us. You're special. You're powerful, right? We're, we're spiritual people. God loves us. Bad things aren't going to happen to us, right? It's as much a Pollyannish attitude about his own relationship to in the fallen world as it is an overconfidence or misunderstanding of what it means that the Almighty God answers your prayers. It's twisted thinking. It's insulting. And rightly, our Lord rebukes him and says, Get behind me, Satan. You are thinking not as God does, but as human beings do. We know as Christians with our emblem being the crucifix, that bad things will happen. Very bad things will happen. The good news is that those won't be the last things to happen. Very good things will happen after that. As Christians, we can hear the words of the Psalms and appreciate how they were sung by those anticipating and relishing in the promised land. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. We know as Christians who live in the end times, who live in that swath of history after our Lord's passion, death, and resurrection, anticipating his return, and the summation of all things, we hear these words and we know that's a description of what we look forward to in heaven. The land of the living is heaven. Who's more alive than the angels and the saints? It's not a description of, you know, strolling a sandy beach on summer vacation. Sometimes it's part of the dilemma of our wonderful vacations, right? We want them to last forever instead of realizing that that was a glimpse of heaven, how wonderful that was. Now let's get back to work, back to school, back to to the cross. This morning in South Africa, a beatification took place of a man who was martyred in 1990, relatively recently. He was a father, husband, school teacher, killed in his little rural town of South Africa for opposing witchcraft. A week ago, there was a beatification of three blesseds in Spain, Cardinal Amato, who's the prefect for the Congregation of the Causes of Saints, presided at that ceremony. Those three blesseds were among the first to lose their lives for the faith during the Spanish Civil War. In the course of his homily, Cardinal Amato
gave expression to something that's been very much a part of the messages of, uh, of the Holy Fathers, not just Pope Francis, but Pope Benedict for many years now, that Christians actually are the most persecuted minority in the world. Cardinal Amato even went on to say further that over the last year, a Christian has been killed for the faith about once every five minutes somewhere in the world. This past Friday, I had uh, the privilege of being with about a a thousand Christians, mostly from the Middle East, here in the city to raise awareness about the persecution of Christians and to lobby Congress as well. One of the significant speeches was from the patriarch of Antioch for the Syriac Catholic Church. And so some of you have noticed that when we pray the prayers of the faithful, we pray for all the holy Catholic churches. Those ancient churches founded in different parts of northern Africa, Asia Minor, Eastern Europe, have their own hierarchy. And when their patriarch is in full communion with the Bishop of Rome, we regard them as a Catholic church. And so the Maronite church, for instance, is that ancient church from Lebanon. The Melkites is the ancient church in Palestine. The Chaldeans would be that ancient church in Iraq. And the Syriac Catholic church pertains to Syria. Over the last few years, half of his faithful have been killed or fled the country. And to these people, St. James warns us, we can't just simply say, go in peace, keep warm, eat well, hope it turns out okay for you. We can't just say that. Another speech that evening was by Carl Anderson, Supreme Knight of the Knights of Columbus, who, in his own way, always gives a, a good history lesson and a good few lessons in theology, the professor that he is, and remarked that the persecution of Christians a hundred years ago by the Ottoman Empire was the first genocide of the 20th century. And the persecution of Christians in the Middle East, especially Iraq and Syria, is the first genocide of the 21st century. Fittingly, just a few weeks ago in August, Cardinal Amato, again that same prefect for the Congregation for the Causes of Saints, beatified a Syrian bishop or a Syriac bishop who was killed in 1915 by the Ottoman Empire. And so we stand before something current, but not something new. That our brothers and sisters are being killed. It's difficult to keep track of it. We have so many things vying for our attention whether it be news and weather every 10 minutes, or homework and stuff from the office, or the stock market, 
or you know, the implosion of your favorite sports team, fill in the blank, or serious problems at home or you know, relatives far away. We have a duty to remember where the body of Christ is suffering. Each other within the parish especially, our extended families, and all throughout the world. Especially at this Mass, the 1030 Mass, the Pro Popolo Mass, it's called in Latin, the Mass for the people where the pastor is obliged to offer Mass for all of the faithful in his parish. It's especially appropriate for us to remember those parts of the Eucharistic prayer where we pray for the whole church, for everyone, not just ourselves. And that gives us a, a bit of an indication of how to move forward, what to do about this. What we do, first and foremost, is we, we try to love Jesus as well as those who have died for him and are being persecuted because of him. We have the privilege of uttering their name at the altar. We have the privilege of being considered their brother and sister in Christ. Not only those who have already been killed, but even those who still are in prison, whether it be the, the two bishops who are still kidnapped in Syria, or how many priests and bishops in prison in China, for instance. They would be free if they just renounced Jesus. They would be free if they even just pretended to join the religion or vow obedience to the government that oppresses them. And they refuse. That's how much they love Jesus. Even knowing that people love Jesus that much almost instantly makes us love him just a little bit more. to be able to worship him in relative safety and security. I would like to think that if, that if something endangered our church, that there would be strong men outside guarding the doors in the parking lot. But if we lived in a day and age when rulers were actually Christian and manly, we would be gathering militias and sending them to the Middle East to protect our brothers and sisters. So we pray, we love God, and we try to find out what we can do. And maybe the first thing we can do after we worship God and pray for our persecuted brethren is to tell people about what's going on and not allow them to forget. You could put a bumper sticker on your vehicle. You don't have to. But we can't allow people to ignore what's going on. The Holy Father significantly especially as a world leader, referred to the Armenian massacre as a genocide, a very loaded term in international affairs. And if he says those words again at the United Nations in a week and a half, um, it'll get the attention of the world. Because the persecution of Christians should get the attention of the world. Not because we're looking for special treatment, 
because, but because if we can't prevent it from happening, at least we can make sure everyone knows that it's going on. And remember that our loving Jesus and our worshiping him isn't merely a matter of candles and vestments and incense. It's a matter of living fully the Catholic life, which celebrates everything that comes from God and acknowledges every good thing that we experience as a glimpse of heaven. That this world isn't just a wash in darkness, but there's good. We experience grace through created things. We even receive grace from God. And so we celebrate every good thing that's worth celebrating, such as the 102nd anniversary of the founding of St. John Church. It means our festivals, our picnics are that much more deliberate. We're celebrating something holy. Imagine if, imagine if someone's dying at home and there happens to be a birthday. The birthday party isn't canceled. That's going to be a serious birthday party because we love even better now the ones that we should have loved before because we know what matters. Consider then the words of the prophet Isaiah. Maybe even in some quiet time, either during Mass or or after Mass or at home, you can look up this reading. It was read very well and read in exactly the same way in the same voice that we would usually read it, that I would usually read it. As someone whose victory has already come, whose suffering is ended, but mindful of what's happening in the world and how our brothers and sisters are suffering, we can read it for them in a very different voice. As one whose suffering has already begun, but is not even close to being done. I gave my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who plucked my beard, my face I did not shield from buffets and spitting. The Lord God is my help. Therefore, I am not disgraced. I have set my face like flint, knowing that I shall not be put to shame. He is near who upholds my right. If anyone wishes to oppose me, let us appear together. Who disputes my right? Let that man confront me. See, the Lord God is my help. Who will prove me wrong? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.